0: Welcome back to Cooking the Books with me Julie Smith the podcast which takes us through four food moments from the books of our favorite food writers it's about all of life through the prism of food and this week, I'm talking about what home means to Irish TV chef, Donald Skean.
1: And my wife ringing me and saying, look, I can't get him to sleep. I don't know what to do. He might respond to your voice. And I was singing down the phone in the corner of a cookery demonstration. <laughs> row, row, row your boat and going, this is absolute madness. We, like, this is not right.
0: Donald has moved a lot in his massive career on TV from Eurovision to Saturday Kitchen and onto Food Network in L.A., and I've met him a few times along the way. Now, with wife Sophie and their two young boys, he's come home to Ireland. His 11th cookbook, Home Kitchen, is a meditation on home, nostalgia and who he is now as a food writer. It's about arriving where he started and finding his place for the first time. But before we get our feet under his latest dining room table, he showed me around his sound studio via Zoom, of course.
1: <laughs> well, my setup is a requirement because now we have to do all these uh, pieces of content where I do little voiceovers and then for the TV show I do voiceovers and rather than having to leave my home to go and do it, I have a setup that's very inexpensive, it's all smoke and mirrors because these are just two soundboards, a little microphone setup and I'm at my office desk, but it does mean that you can you don't have to leave, you could just do it all from here. <laughs>
0: It's extraordinary. And we were just saying before we started recording that the last time we saw each other, we were in my friend Audrey Gillan's flat in Shoreditch. Uh, we turned up, you were supposed to be cooking me something. It was for the Delicious <laughs> podcast, I think. And uh, your publisher had forgotten to tell you that to bring any of the ingredients. But the point was that I'd got on a train. You Were o- were you over from LA or were you just about to go to LA?
1: I was. And I laughed because that was the whole thing was that I, I was very excited to do the podcast, but I was very confused as to the location you chose and why we were going to some (laughs) random person's apartment to their kitchen. And then it all made sense when we didn't have any of the ingredients. And I think, what did we do? We kind of mocked through it, basically.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we did. But you and I kind of do everything from our homes now. This is post-lockdown life. You have moved your entire family to Ireland. Just fill us in for the last, you know, three years. What, it's been huge for you, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's actually been, uh, <laughs> I think we're still getting over it because it's been quite a journey from Los Angeles to home. And I think we initially had planned to come back from LA for maybe a kind of a six month period, see how it worked out. But uh, that kind of escalated quite quickly when COVID hit in 2020 and we had uh, our, our second born was only three or four months old and we decided it was now and ever and we were going to go back home and we were going to see what how life unfolded in that way and so yeah we moved home without a massive plan and it, because of that we ended up in three different rental properties we were moving we moved three times in in three years or four times in three years so it was quite all over the place and as of this this year we've bought our first home and I mean that's our first home in all of what I've done I've always been searching for that home kitchen and for that that element of groundedness that I, I I think I didn't realize I was missing for so long and and we always kind of went with you know what was the the next exciting step but actually I think in the long run we were looking for that 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 grounding space and it, it, eventually we found it but not without trials and tribulations along the way
0: and that's what the book is about. I mean, it's called Home Kitchen. Um, it could just be called home. The the whole story is about, it's about nostalgia. It's about family. It's about place. It's about finding your place. And it's about food memories, isn't it? It's very rich. Mm-hmm. It's very deep. I love the inside spread. I, I do a lot of writing retreats now. And we have lots of WhatsApp groups for all the people who, who, who've been on the writing retreats here. And I sent them that inside spread, which is the typewriter. And your granny's recipes all written out in. <laughs> in, in her handwriting it's rich isn't it people loved it they were like oh my god I want that in my book yeah um, it, it's very different from the, the mad multicultural fabulous LA life which we'll talk about in a little bit here but it's very rooted isn't it
1: well I think that was key to kind of writing this book was kind of understanding where we've come from, where we've got to. And and I mean, at the start of, uh, of all my cooking and my recipes, my grandmother obviously kind of looms large. Her, she was an amazing home cook and she was, she never worked at a professional kitchen or anything, but she, in the 1970s, she was baking, you know, croissants and doing fabulous things and doing high end French cuisine. They had, they were both um, sculptors, my granny and grandfather. Um, and they were both very artistic. And because of that, they ran a gallery out of their home um, um, and my granny would end up having to kind of entertain these very interesting types, and because of that, she would have to kind of create these menus. And the less the legacy she's left us are these beautiful handwritten notebooks, kitchen notebooks that are written in this calligraphy, Osmoroid pen style. And she has, you know, the, uh, even in that opening spread, she kind of has little terms of things that she would have read about and and described, and and things that she would come back to time and time again, like her plum pudding um these beautiful tarts that she would have had as the desserts for the as the centerpiece the show-stopping element of of a you know of of a a lovely meal and and I think more than anything there's lovely little notes that she's written about you know and like we would do ourselves if you're having people over like what do I need to have prepped out what do I need to have she has like stoke the Rayburn stove at like 11 a.m so I mean those are the little elements that kind of have woven through to to kind of where we're at today and you know I think in finding home in wanting to have find that looking back at her recipes and understanding that was such a big part of it was an absolutely wonderful starting point so I mean yeah it's been a journey and and I think as much as there is those sort of multicultural recipes in there for me the the biggest part of uh this book in in essence is that element of sitting together at a table and enjoying food with friends and family and I know that sounds cliche but it is something that has become so much more important over the years yeah
0: Absolutely. And, you know, very, very, very often, uh, particularly on this programme, um, they these stories of finding home only really come from leaving it. You have to go yeah. away to understand what you're missing. And it's that yearning, isn't it? There's something it is. in your soul, in your heart that drives you to find what you're looking for tell us about leaving Ireland you'd been in a boy band uh, when we first <laughs> met way back it feels like a very long time ago we talked about you being on Eurovision and, yes. uh, <laughs> and being a very different character you went to LA for, to be on Food Network
1: yes yeah that, that's essentially what brought us uh, to LA and you know I think it's interesting because a lot of people talk about LA and have preconceived notions of what it is and I think even us, when we, we kind of went over the first time, you're, you're taken by the sunshine, the green juices, the the beautiful starlets and all that, that that kind of nonsense that goes with it. But as time progressed and as we kind of spent more time out there, we realised it's such an incredible city. And even as a, as a food city, I feel like from Ireland and the UK, I feel it's still undiscovered. You know, you really kind of understand it much more when you actually live there rather than visit because everyone ends up in Santa Monica and Venice and actually the amazing thing, about Los Angeles is that it is made up of these fantastic little neighbourhoods. And we found ourselves purely because of the cost of living there. <laughs> we found ourselves in East LA, which, you know, is not where most of the people are taking meetings and doing all the celebrity sort of stuff. We found ourselves in East LA and and really more than anything, we found ourselves in this fantastic neighbourhood. We were in Eagle Rock, which gave us kind of a stepping stone to Echo Park, Silver Lake, Highland Park, Pasadena, uh, into the uh, San Gabriel Valley. And the San Gabriel valley is an incredible spot which has the the largest population of uh, of 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 Asian people outside of Asia, and it's it's incredible. You can get specific, you know, Sichuan restaurants. You can get Vietnamese, really specific um, representations of different cuisines. So that's what made me fall in love with it. And it wasn't the green juices, the kale, and the yoga, even though I did a little bit of that. <laughs> <laughs> but the amazing thing is, you get drawn out eh, by something like I had a, network, a food network contract, and you know, the amazing thing is the, those last only so long, and you know we did one show and i was i was literally doing this incredible show food network star kids uh, it was like the the spin-off show from Bobby Flay and Giada De Laurentiis uh, you know in the first 4 months of being in los angeles i was on a panel with B- bobby flay and giada de Laurentiis, who are like the the king and queen of american you know food network And um, I was like, oh, my God, do you know what the funniest thing was? I ended up on that uh, first episode and they all had uh, a suit for two occasions on the one show. I had one outfit. (laughs) (laughs) So I ended up like the absolute poor fella down the end, the Irish fella down the end in my same outfit. I wasn't even wearing a suit. and So I didn't realise quick off the mark that uh, this was the standard I needed to keep out there. But um, (laughs) but yeah, we did that that show and um, I think it ran for like eight episodes a a year or two. And then that was the end of that. And then you kind of have to realise that, yes, you have to keep going out there. And by that stage, we had moved out and we had, um you know, taken on a house and so there was an element of like we have to make it uh, make it work out here so there was um, that sense of, of finding life and finding friends and finding you know a, a, a village out there and and we did that in Eagle Rock and it was a great spot for it but also there was a huge surge of online content at that time so YouTube was what brought us out you know and kept us out there so that that online food space was always part of why we were in Los Angeles and and because of that we really did enjoy it
0: but the family at home was kind of calling I mean your grandfather was ill and it was his death that made you finally leave LA was it also your second born was that kind of that feeling what was what was drawing you back before your grandfather died
1: yeah I mean at the time my my schedule was so ridiculous that I was back and forth to the UK and Ireland probably about once a month. So I was doing Saturday Kitchen. It was at the time before um, Matt Tebbett took over completely and we were all we were in that kind of weird space of, is he going to get it? Am I going to get it? Is, is someone else going to get it? And so basically we were all basically auditioning every week. We were on it to see who was going to get Saturday Kitchen after James Martin had left and ultimately the fabulous Matt got, got it. But there was, you know, there was question marks at the time and so I wasn't letting it you know go so I was traveling over and back uh, for that and we have a production company that makes my shows and other uh, chefs shows here in Ireland as well so there was a lot going on and I was over to manage that so that was causing a lot of issues and I do remember there was one moment where I, I, we had my show had been sold to BBC Asia and um, I was in Singapore and we were doing this mad press trip where I was traveling across I think it was like five or six different Asian countries And I remember being in Singapore hosting a cookery demonstration and my wife with our He must have only been in eight or nine months ringing me and saying, Look, I can't get him to sleep. I don't know what to do. He might respond to your voice. And I was singing down the phone in the corner of a cookery demonstration, (laughs) row, row, row your boat, and going, This is absolute madness. Like, this is not right. And so by the time Oliver, our second born, um, arrived, we kind of had in the back of our head that we needed to. We needed to find more balance in life and and L.A. wasn't providing that. And, you know, as much as there was opportunities and, you know, career possibilities there, we could not manage it to to a place that was sustainable for us. And at the time, I think you're right, like the catalyst at the time was that moment where my grandfather passed away in January of 2020 and I couldn't make it back. Oliver was only a couple of months old, not even, he wasn't even a month and a half old. And I couldn't travel back. And I remember watching... The funeral online, which is just oh. the most crushing thing when you see your entire family yeah. being there and, and, you know, being part of it. And I, I just remember kind of going, this isn't, this isn't, it's not working anymore. And, and that was really a moment. And at the t- you know, the funniest thing with my granddad, every time I'd visit him, he was, could not understand why we'd moved to LA and his mantra was, are you ever going to move back to Hoth? Are you ever going to come back to Hoth? when are you coming back to Hoth? And so I think he, he would be incredibly proud that we have managed to come back if he was still here and and i think uh yeah it's it's been a big part of the reason why so yeah and, and now that we're here we're here three years and i feel we've ultimately made the very best move and it's been it's been so lovely to kind of find even to where we are we're at today we have a we have our own house we have we've chickens are on the way <laughs> next That's week jilly <laughs> there's chickens you know so we've committed we've committed to life for all the kind of years of wandering I feel like we've committed and Ireland and dublin is a fantastic place I'm over to London still quite a bit but like at this stage it's like getting on the bus where uh, whereas before it felt like an absolute mammoth task to get home get back and get home
0: To manage things so yeah it's great to be back and it's great to be home let's go into some of the real food memories that make up those recipes the first food moment is your granny's lamb shoulder it's one of your earliest memories of your granny's cooking tell us about this one Well, it's an interesting one because
1: while I do mention my grandmother quite a bit throughout my books and throughout everything I do, and the interesting thing about her is that we didn't actually eat or cook with her that much (laughs) because she was quite subdued in in how she kind of um, was a grandmother. And so a visit to my grandmother's house was quite a prim and proper experience. And, you know, we always laughed because it was like going up for an interview. So you wouldn't have seen them for maybe two weeks and you'd go up on the Sunday and it would be... after mass, and then it would be before the Sunday dinner. So it was that kind of that sweet spot where they had space to, to see you and interview you and basically ask how your week was. <laughs> <laughs> and so you'd have to come up with the answers. And I remember very well w- at one point um, being a little bit older and swearing in front of them by accident. <laughs> like I was excitedly telling a story. And my goodness, like the, the you could hear a pin drop and I obviously had to play it off and, and keep going. But they were, they were quite prim and proper and um, always up for a laugh, always a great story storytellers, but we would never really sit down to dinner with them. And so what I would be as a child would be tantalised by the incredible smells from my grandmother's kitchen. And it almost felt like this, this kind of, uh, you know, I suppose untenable thing that that she did and it became even more kind of exciting and like undiscovered and um so I would always be sneaking into the kitchen seeing what she was doing if she had to check on something in the oven I would always go in with her and see what she was making and the lamb show the I suppose her lamb shoulder or her lamb leg whatever she was doing on the day was was the classic because the smell in the kitchen when you would arrive there on a Sunday was incredible Um, she would often do a lamb shoulder because it was smaller and when she was cooking for my grand granddad and her you know it would be a smaller meal But that smell is what I associate so instantly with her cooking and that smell of lamb, garlic, rosemary, potatoes, boulanger in the oven. You know, it was just so fabulous. And I do remember, I think I was eight or nine at the time, asking her, following her into the kitchen and her, her taking some slivers off the lamb, packing it into this tinfoil package and then just putting it under my arm basically and sending me away in the car with it. And I remember my mom didn't even realize it had happened. And when we got into the car, I was eating beautiful steaming hot roast lamb that was dipped in salt in the back seat of the car and she was like where did you get that and how did you manage to kind of get that from her but I mean for for all the lack of kind of the meals we would have had it with her our conversation was always around food and you know she was an amazing cookbook collector like so many food lovers are and you know she had beautiful Elizabeth David cookbooks she had you know these interests and I, I laugh because when I went through her cookbook collection at one point um, the most strange one she had was a WWE cookbook um, <laughs> a worldwide wrestling championship <laughs> cookbook so she was an eclectic collector of cookbooks so she had Elizabeth David to wrestling cookbooks um, but she, she covered it all but she was you know, she never ceased to be interested and I do remember one of the last meals I cooked for her because I used to kind of towards the end of her life I, I used to drop her up kind of cakes and things like that and one of the last meals she asked me to cook for her was a sweet and sour chicken because she had such a fascinating fascination with Asian cuisine. And she actually gave me this beautiful encyclopedia of, of Asian cookery when I was about 12. And I remember that was kind of, that was just, that opened a world that I was fascinated by. And I love that memory that that was the last meal that I cooked for her. And I, I've never cooked the best sweet and sour chicken in my life as as the one I cooked for her that day. Um, Amazing. Whether she ate it or not, I'll, I'll never know. But yeah, it, it was a, a core memory.
0: And I suppose you would have had lots of conversations with her then about the Asian influences that you picked up. Yes, I
1: mean, she, well, we had moved. um, She passed away in 2015, just before myself and Sophie got married. But she was always fascinated by my travels. And, you know, at that stage, I was doing quite a lot of travel and I had been to Vietnam. Um, We had done Thailand and I had just finished a series in Europe, all around Europe. But I remember that, like, I would bring her the cookbooks that were inspiring me at the time. And there's a fantastic um, Vietnamese food writer Vietnamese Australian food writer called uh Luke Noyen and I love his cookbooks and he has some really beautiful ones and I remember leaving this fantastic I think it's called Indochine uh and it was uh it was just a wonderful cookbook and so we would often bond about those and towards the end where where I was traveling quite a bit she would be fascinated by these things and so I'd be able to come back with these interesting stories and ingredients and she I think you know it was, it was what we bonded over for sure
0: amazing amazing and in fact your second food moment is um- very similar I mean it's a back to school slow cooker chicken stew I mean I'm sure your granny would have been thrilled with this one it feels very much like a weeknight slow gorgeous cook this one I mean I I love what you do with your weekend cooking but actually it's these midweek meals that I kind of go to your books for tell us about this one
1: well, I suppose that's kind of what I've become known for over the years. I think, you know, the important stage of any food writer's career is understanding who you write for. And I think in the last couple of years, that has been something that has really, that I've helped, helped myself define in the sense that I know who I'm writing for. I think in the early stages, you know, I, I was kind of writing the recipes that inspired me, but ultimately you serve a purpose in some ways about uh, becoming a food writer. And, and I think, you know, the recipes that like you said the ones that you dip into are the ones that that solve a problem it is like you're standing in front of the pantry door and going what am I going to make tonight and so having a solution for those is as key to me as it is to my my readers and you know the chicken stew you mentioned is probably one of the most uh popular ones because it just is that instant comfort with very little effort very simple ingredients you're talking chicken thighs celery onion garlic uh, maybe a, a carrot you know and and a good chicken stock and then you make these homemade dumplings it's probably the the cornerstones of of really good home cooking skills mm-hmm. and you know it's very simple but it ultimately results in a chicken stew that what I like to think it tastes like a, a good Sunday roast it's got all the elements the chicken fat the you know the juices the the thyme you know all the elements and then on top of that these really stodgy beautiful comforting dumplings now you can make it I I, I feel like I have to veer into the air fryer and slow cooker worlds, but ultimately a lot all of my recipes can be made in what i I like to do which is like a really good casserole and one that's been that has that patina of you know grease and a little bit of dirt <laughs> what, that that adds to the flavor i tell you my grandmother would have been very uh, very uh, adamant about that being an absolute core element of of a really good home cooked recipes that 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 patina is there but i think you know that's why those are the recipes we come back to it is at the core of why we cook it is nostalgia it is that element of kind of understanding. And and wanting that that moment of settling down and and easing into that moment where the windows are steamed up where you've put a little bit of love and effort. And even with our two boys, you know, they're literally just kind of starting that school journey. And And I know these are going to be moments that they will come and come back to. These are the recipes that they will come back to. And even in writing this recipe book, I think as time has moved on, I want these books to be, as every food writer says, they want them to be dog-eared and splattered and to be used over and over. And in the long run, I mean, this is the 11th cookbook I've written, but, you know, I know at the core of them, there are those recipes that people come back to time and time again. And and I think in every book, there is always the effort to try and find those recipes that are, that are going to be, sustainable in terms of people coming back mm. to time and time yeah. again so that is why that that recipe tends to be one that i dive back to as as often as i possibly yeah. can
0: but the third food moment is a sort of an elevation of that i did this this weekend and um, the rosemary and thyme confit chicken with 20 garlic cloves um i mean it's yes. pretty pretty similar isn't it it's the 20 garlic cloves slightly different to nigella's slightly different to delia's uh why 20 <laughs>
1: Well, I do mention this in the introduction because I mean every food writer seems to have their own version of the of the thirty cloves, the twenty cloves, the ten clove, and I mean realistically, it's about your own take. How many cloves do you feel like peeling on the day? <laughs> are they going to make them uh, that major difference? Not really, but they are going to infuse the chicken with all the flavor. Now, my take on it, and this, I suppose the different point is that it is slowly confit in this olive oil, and so by adding as much garlic as you can possibly peel, you end up but bar the you know the beauty tender chicken that you get from it you end up with this golden liquor that basically can transform anything into something incredible it's basically like having kind of you know your own personal duck tin of duck fat that you can use for roast mm. potatoes roast vegetables and so I actually make that recipe specifically so that I get the oil and I use the oil for months afterwards it keeps in a jar and you get like I said you've got chicken fat you've got rosemary you've got garlic and it's all infused in this beautiful olive oil that that is just transformed so keep that in a pot and you can do it over the Hasselback potatoes which I've suggested in in that recipe but ultimately beautiful tender chicken I did
0: chicken. it with roast potatoes yesterday did for, you? For the two of us and use the entire time pot.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and that's the thing is that like... Again, going back to my granny, the, the thing I was left with from her is that level of confidence. And that's a perfect recipe for, you know, a, your own additions. You know, you take that baseline recipe, you get tender chicken, you get your oil, but you can add, you know, lemon peel, you could add sage, you could use whatever, a garlic peel. You can take that oil and transform it into anything else. You could take the chicken, shred it and make it into a salad. That is, for me, what a good home cook is about. It's about yeah. taking the core of a recipe and being able to trans- transport it in, a, in many different ways. And so yeah. while I like to provide a recipe. I find it very hard to follow my own recipes because I am always, you know, tweaking or planning or doing something else with it and and I think, you know, the the root of a good home kitchen is is one that, you know, relies on recipes like this that will take it in different directions. So, I am glad that you that we chose this one because it is a good example of, you know, core home cooking recipes and ones that you can, you know, basically kind of take in any other direction you fancy.
0: Absolutely. And you know, if you are doing a chicken, those two together teach you pretty much everything you need to know about flavouring a a chicken. Um, Your fourth is pork shoulder. And again, I think that once you've kind of really sort of mastered how to do a slow roasted pork, And the Mm. kind of flavours that go with it, it's so different in many ways to to what you do with a chicken. You can kind of do anything. Is, Is that why you chose it or is it because it's all local, seasonal ingredients of home? I think the reason
1: I chose this recipe to discuss was primarily because it was such a big moment for us moving back from Los Angeles where it is kind of harder to track down high quality ingredients where you really have to go to an effort to, you know, and then and then pay out the year. Like if you're not going to your farmer's market, if you're not going to Whole Foods, it's very hard to kind of track your seasonal local side of things in, in Los Angeles. Um when we came home, I suppose I had, uh, you know, for five, six years while we had travelled, poo poo-pooed Irish food and kind of just spin, not even poo-pooed, but certainly kind of just distanced myself because I was distracted by other things. And we came home in the heart of COVID-19. We came home and the only place that was local to me was five doors down and we was this kind of the lifeblood to my cooking when we moved back to this very old house this old Victorian house with a a big old agate it was like stepping back into the dark ages (laughs) technically from having had this you know diverse really interesting food uh, ethos in Los Angeles to back to you know meat and to veg in Ireland and you know we had this incredible we have this incredible butcher very close to us called um, Higgins Butchers and uh, Rick there has such a such a passion for creating you know and, and choosing and selecting really beautiful meat and you know the first meal that we cooked out of that Aga, which was temperamental I hate that Aga. my god I have terrible <laughs> memories <laughs> um, but it really was uh, you know a step back into that world and he he has he really made he really produces this beautiful uh pork the selection of pork and I got pork shoulder I got garlic scapes um from a producer who uh, called Drummond House in in Ireland, we actually had them for our wedding. My fabulous friend Jenny Glasgow, she she um, did the food for our wedding, and she had made this beautiful platter of garlic scapes with um, with grilled um, with grilled meat and stuff like that for our, our wedding. And I wanted to kind of create an element of that, but I also had this beautiful pork shoulder, and it was the first thing I cooked family and friends in this old Victorian house out of a, out of an old aga and it was that real sense of we were home and we had such a love for the food that we were you know that that was local and seasonal and McNally's this Irish farm um, in North County Dublin they all organic produce so I had this celebration meal of really great Irish pork beautiful garlic scapes and salads and organic vegetables and it was just like oh, we've missed this we and we didn't realize how much we had missed it and for me it was that journey back into that kind of I suppose that UK and Irish way and our, our approach to seasonal eating and, and you know, looking at the food that we're eating and understanding where it comes from. So from that perspective, I think that's probably the core reason. You know, it's, it's these sorts of recipes that are the cornerstone of of a week's cooking. And while you make, might make the, the, you know, the pork shoulder roast with the crackling and the tender meat during, during a Sunday feast, you have the leftovers. You have those elements that kind of feed into the week and can be transformed into a number of different things. So I think for me, that's a core memory of coming home and a core memory of that sort of respect for those sorts of homegrown ingredients that that really do shape our week.
0: It's interesting because you know all of that that you that picture you just painted is all about nostalgia, isn't it? It's you know from the Arga to the the slow roast <laughs> to the Irish ingredients. You know when you were leaving for LA and that kind of massive sort of cornucopia of wonderful world ingredients. I wonder, did you see British food in the same way as you do now? I think
1: I have always been distracted by foreign cuisine and I I have always been fascinated and intrigued and excited by foreign cuisine. And I think... As I've got a little bit older, there is that sense of kind of nostalgia that comes back towards exactly what we've just spoken about. I mean, you look at the recipes we've discussed, they're very they're very hearty, they're humbling, and you know, they are the sorts of recipes that I certainly would have grown up with. I mean, I will always have this massive interest in the different cuisines around the world, but I do think, you know, it's an interesting time. Even in Irish food at the moment, where you have people who've travelled and chefs that have travelled and come back with these techniques and, and ingredients and you know, there's some fantastic restaurants even in Dublin here or uh, and around the country where you have people who've, you know, transformed elements of seasonal produce and brought them to the fore using kind of de- techniques that have come. What I would say is that now more than ever, I think, you know, I'm writing for an audience who are, who are uh, in essence, you know, homebodies, who are people who have that sense of nostalgia, who when they want to cook, they want really great results. And so on one side, I have, you know, very accessible, simple things like, you know, spicy popcorn chicken and fried rice and things like that. But on the other side of it, we have those classics, you know, those classics that are the cornerstones of of any Irish and, and sort of UK um, home cooks. So I think it's about a balance, and it's about you know, there's a great quote in um, in which is not his, but Jeremy Lee's cookbook, and he, he it's a T. S. Eliot quote about um, we shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. And I wish I had written that in my cookbook because it just uh, I feel in in lots of ways for for many home cooks, it's one of those things that that it's that element of exploration that really does allow us to see ourselves in in more truly and and i think that for me is what has happened in the na- in the last five or seven years and has essentially helped me write a book that that is very representative of of where i am at and where i'm confidently at as a food writer and and i think i and i hope i hope more than anything it 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 is that reason it will become a a companion for many people because those are the sorts of recipes we rely on that keep us going throughout the throughout the week throughout the weekends throughout the year you know food is and will always be that element of something that sees us through and sees us through the the dark days and the and the light days you know
0: Thanks for listening. Do rate and review the podcast if you like it on Apple Podcasts and then head to my Substack to see and to hear Donald read his Granny Betty's original apple strudel recipe.